Welcome to the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast with your hosts Chip Patterson and Barton Simmons. The ultimate insider's guide from signing day to the national championship game and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast. Monday morning, December 4th, the college football playoff is Seth, Chip Patterson here, Barton Simmons there. This is the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast, and you've tuned in because you want all of the craziness of Saturday and Sunday. We are going to try to put it in perspective for you right now, uh, Barton. There was a little part of me that was certainly sad that we have uh, you know, concluded 14 weeks of a college football regular season, but now that the, 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 dr- the high drama of who is going to be in the college football playoff is over. I can't help but look at uh, Clemson, one, Oklahoma, two, uh, three, coming from the SEC, the Georgia Bulldogs, and we'll get into that big SEC championship game win against Auburn here in a little bit, and number four, Alabama, Clemson, Alabama, Oklahoma, Georgia. Barton, I felt like as we, as we, if you were to check in with uh, us, you know, our conversations, me, if you were to check in at like four different times of the year, as like a ghost of playoff future and were to say, uh, hey, this is going to be the Final Four. Are you cool with it? I feel like each time I would have said yes. If you were to check in with you at different times in the year, so, oh, saying this current four? Yeah, like if you were oh, to, if, you. Yeah, like yeah. At, at the beginning of the year, hey, Chip, this is going to be the, the playoff. I'm like, cool, I'll take yeah. it. You know, like uh, three or four weeks in, this is going to be the playoff. Cool, I'll take it. Like I, I, we we're going to get into the hand wringing in a little bit, but ultimately, like the way that I resolved all this controversy with myself once the announcement came down is, I was like, well, that's a that's a pretty good college football playoff. I think it's the best four we've had from a standpoint of not knowing who's going to win. Like any four, any four of them can win. I agree. And I think to me, that's the first time we've had that in a college football playoff four. Where, you know, you could you could pick any of them and 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 see a path for them to come out of this thing with a championship. So um, that's probably as much a reflection on the rest of college football this year, and it just not being a year where there's that one dominating juggernaut, unstoppable force. But certainly, it means the committee didn't totally screw it up, and and it means the that we got a uh, some pretty fun games. I think it's hard to hard to deny they're going to be. They, you know, that they're going to be highly anticipated. So we broke it down with pretty much everybody who was on the show last week. Everyone seemed to agree. Um, if it was going to be the SEC champion was going to get one spot, the ACC champion was going to get one spot, Oklahoma, if o- Oklahoma won, was going to take one spot, and goodness gracious, they uh, they, they, <laughs> they turned that one uh, into not much of an issue early. But the last piece that could make things interesting, if Chalk was not to hold, was going to be Ohio State-Wisconsin. Uh, all right, Ohio State, let's, let's start there with the Buckeyes. Um, do you think that Ohio State being left out of the college football playoff had – more impact based on things that happened prior to Saturday than necessarily the way that that game unfolded. Well, I, I felt like prior- I mean it all goes together for sure. Yeah, yeah. So I, I look, I I thought that Saturday's win was the right kind of win for Alabama to get in. They they won, which helped Alabama, but they won in survivalist fashion. And mm, like because that. of that, 
I think Alabama, like, they had an opportunity to make a statement. And, you know, not that it's, it's, it's an easy task to make a statement against a really good Wisconsin team with a really good defense, but had they gone out there and just looked like head and shoulders a better football team than Wisconsin, just looked like a dominant, you know, national title contender, I think they'd be in right now. Um, but they didn't. They survived. And, and that was, you know, that was their opportunity was, uh, was, was to, to go out there and, and, and have a sort of a, a statement game. They didn't have it. You know, to me, Chip, this comes down, like everyone's talking about like comparing resumes for Alabama and, and, and Ohio State and what, you know, how many top 15 wins and, and who did Alabama play and, um, you know, they didn't win a, a conference championship, all this stuff. With the playoff com- selection committee, it boils down to who do they think is better. Like mm-hmm. that's that's all it is. You can you can run through all these numbers and statistics and championships and titles. It none of it matters. None of it matters. Truly, it's all about who do they think is better. And you can argue that's right or wrong. Um, you know, we had the BCS formula, which which took a little bit of that subjectivity out of it, but. We're, this is what we decided on. We decided on a committee of, of human beings that turns over every year. I mean, not fully, but there, there's different people on it every year. They have different ideas about how this this process should work. They have different um, opinions on how the criteria should be weighted. And they're not even directed on where to weight this criteria. And, and, and so ultimately it boils down to who do they think is the best four teams? And, and, that's, and if you want to talk about why Alabama's in there, that's why, because they thought they were the fourth best team in college football, or at least among the four best teams in college football, and they didn't think the same thing about Ohio State. And you can sort of hold that Iowa loss against Ohio State and, and hold it up and say, hey, a 31-point loss against a 7-5 team should, should disqualify you from the playoffs. But ultimately, you know, that doesn't matter. It's just the fact that that, that, that is on the committee's mind, like that's stained in their memory, that that – sort of takes away from what they the championship think of. caliber like yeah. you, you do not see you do not, you do not think in your head that a championship caliber team is going to do that I don't exactly yeah, yeah. And so, so 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 it's it's yeah so so that's sort of my like for everyone that's that is and I think the the other sort of um litmus test here and and and, and reason why I, I don't Resume aside, I don't have a problem with this, is that I think if you poll the country and you exclude Alabama fans and you exclude Ohio State fans, I think most people around the country would say that Alabama is among the top four teams in college football. I think you would have a smaller percentage that would say Ohio State is. Um, and so that's that's also what we're trying to do here. We're trying to get the four best teams. They can, you know, If they want to tweak the mission statement, in the college football playoffs, and say we want to put in the four most deserving teams, then that then maybe that's that that's a different process, a different outcome. If you want to tweak it and say we want to take it the four most deserving or the four best conference champions, that's a different process and a different outcome. But given what the process is right now and the mission statement of just you know identifying the four best teams in college football. I think it's hard to argue with with the four they picked. 
I uh, there has been. Uh, a lot and justified because Kirby Hocutt, one of the first things out of his mouth was, you know, we couldn't forget about the the loss to Iowa. I I wonder, and I think that if this argument really continues, if, you know, as relevant in my eyes is the fact that they didn't look competitive against Oklahoma. And, right. th- and like, if we're going to say that Oklahoma is the number two team in the country and Oklahoma, when they met against Ohio State – in Columbus, looked like it was a definitive tier above the Buckeyes. Then, you know, how are we going to be parsing hairs here where you've got two losses for Ohio State, one to a 7-5 and five Iowa team, another one where they were never competitive against the number two team in the country, and then all of a sudden you've got a one-loss Alabama team with that one loss coming on the road against the number seven team in the country. Like, I, I, I go back and I, I think that you know, it's it's bad loss, it's quality loss, and like it just comes down to uh, if if you're looking at all of this stuff here, it's the fact that when Ohio State went up against a team that we know for sure is a college football playoff team, it looked like they didn't belong. And if they didn't look like they belonged playing at home against a college football playoff team, then why should they deserve a spot uh, over a one loss team that very much looks like, especially. Uh, you know, we talk about injuries, you know, and Nick Saban, hey, give Saban credit. He politicked. He he talked. He was calling in to the Scott Van Pelt show. He was on college game day. He was doing everything he could to remind uh, anyone who might be able to get word or anyone who might be watching in that room that uh, Alabama, what did he say? What do you know? The number, I believe, and I, I'm, I apologize to Crimson Tide fans if I got this wrong, but I'm sure you're so happy anyway, you're not going to come find me. But I think he said 37 of the 40 starts that he lost, they're expecting to get back. Hootie Jones, <laughs> Hootie has a knee, so he's going to be out. Uh, <laughs> but like, for the most part, this is a team that can be healthy and be back at full strength by the time the college football playoff starts. And I just. Like again, I, I come back to where I started the conversation. There was a lot of controversy. There was a lot of hand wringing. Uh, you know, leaving the ACC championship on the media bus. Like everyone, who's your four? Who's your four? Who's your four? It caused a lot of ex- excitement. It caused a lot of drama. But now that everything is settled, uh, I, I look up and I'm like, man, at, at at different stages of the year, I have believed that this is like these are probably the four best teams. And like you said, if that's what the playoff committee is supposed to do, then like, hell yeah, let's go. Like, like I'm, I am fired up to watch this college football playoff. I, I didn't see that 37 is 40 starts are bad. I didn't hear that, that number that's, or whatever the number was that that's, that's compelling for sure. I mean, that, that is, I mean, you talk about all these games where, you know, Clemson gets a pass because Kelly Bryant was hurt in Syracuse. Well, I don't think he should, but um, if you're going to, use that logic then certainly that that is compelling for the Alabama arguments um so yeah I I think that um you know at the very least we, we've got a four that we're going to be excited about and um and it's going to be fun to watch and um I, you know if uh if you're mad about a conference champion not getting in well you know we knew that was we knew that was the case last year this is this isn't new to you you knew that this was this was something that they were um, you know, comfortable doing, and uh, shouldn't be surprised at this point. So, how about uh, we still don't have a two-loss team in the playoff? 
I didn't even think about that. Yeah, I guess you're right. You know, all all the chatter. This is the year we get a two loss team in. This is the year we get a two loss team in. Like, I'm I'm coming out of the 2017 football season saying like, yeah, you can lose a game. Sure. I mean, in the in the BCS, there were a lot of one loss champions. I I wouldn't lose a second one. Right. <laughs> right. I would. I you know the. We we normally we've only got one undefeated team at the end of this season. Congratulations to UCF. Uh, there's only a couple of one loss teams, and yeah, in the college football playoff era, you can lose a game, and as Alabama has shown, you could even lose it, it depending on the opponent and the situation. That first that loss might even be on the the last game of the season. You can lose one game and go win a national championship. Uh, based on what we've seen from the first four years of the college football playoff, I wouldn't lose that second. Yeah, you're playing with fire then. Yeah, no. You, yeah. You, you, you've lost control. It is no longer in your hands uh, at that point. All right, let's go. Let, let's, let's circle back. We Alabama, Ohio State, uh, that certainly became a controversial uh, discussion because Alabama lost in the Iron Bowl. Uh, Auburn going into the SEC championship game, this was, uh, this was a matchup where I think – there was certainly a lot, a, a widespread accepted expectation that Georgia would show up a little bit more prepared. What did you see from the Bulldogs that maybe, maybe not more prepared, but at least with a, what would you say, like with a little bit of a different game plan, like a little bit, uh, a, a little bit more ready for that moment? Is that a fair way to put it? Yeah, I mean, it was, it was a, just a different, totally different dynamic. I mean, look, there's a reason why Alabama went in there and lost to, to Auburn and Jordan-Hare, because that's a tough place to play. <laughs> and, you know, they were able to, to take this to a neutral site, which, you know, was probably slightly in the favor of Georgia being in Atlanta. Um, and I, I just thought the defense looked different. I thought they came... You know, more physical, more. Re- I, I don't know. They they re- they didn't really know what they were getting themselves into last last game. You know, they had this cakewalk SCCE schedule. Uh, then they go out to Auburn and they you know they just they got kicked in the teeth. And I think that that was a the best thing that could have happened to just Georgia team. If Georgia's going to the college football playoffs undefeated, you know, I don't know how much you, I like their chances. But having that moment at Auburn to just sort of humble them and get them get them refocused, I, I think is, it was, was, was just what they needed. And, um, yeah, man, I got, I, I just really thought that this team defensively stepped up and, and, and had the kind of showing they, they needed to, to, to get this W. What about offensively? Um, you know, Jake from and the game plan here, um, it was, it was a little bit more, of. Uh, trying to find your spots a little bit more of attacking the perimeter. Got some good DeAndre Swift action in there. Um, like the, the Auburn defense that had dominated, is that another home away split? Like, like is Auburn another example of you and I, whether it's in analysis or in picks coming back to the home away split, we're maybe going up against that Auburn defensive front in Jordan Hare. It's just, just another aspect of the home field advantage. Well, I thought Jake Fromm looked really good, and he's going to have to continue to look really good. And I think he can. I mean, that that's 
that's what's exciting about this team right now is, is you know, when you look at, you know, you look at Justin Fields coming to Georgia, for example. You know, the number one player in, in, in America in high school football right now committed to Georgia, you know, because presumably he thinks he can come in and, and compete with Fromm right away. That's starting to look like a trickier equation, Justin. <laughs> As for with every game that Jake Fromm is comfortable, like the guy's not just, I know he doesn't have like the freakish arm, but man, he is in total control. He was so accurate, particularly on the perimeter. Um, you know, he's been good all year throwing the ball down the field. I just, you know, he's not a freshman anymore. This is the point in the season where he's not a freshman and he didn't look like a freshman. And and I think that's a guy that, that doesn't, never really played like a freshman, never really had that, that demeanor. It, it means a lot. And so I think that going into this, this college football playoffs, if you're looking at this Georgia team and trying to say, you know, find advantages between team to team and you, and you want to look at the quarterback position at Georgia and say, well, they got a freshman and you know, however you want to spin that don't it's not it's not there that that's that's to me Jake Fromm is 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 not a a limiting factor at all in this offense anymore I think he is a guy that is I mean they're going to handle him and use they're they're still going to lean on the run game but Jake Fromm is is I think uh a really formidable quarterback at this point. No longer a position where when you're breaking down the game against Oklahoma, and to listen, we are going to have so much time to break down the ins and outs, the X's and O's. We will have all the team breakdowns that we can get uh, for the college football playoff semifinals. When you're going into that, you're not like, if you've got to come up with your three bullet points for each team, you're no longer looking at Georgia and saying, make the game easy for Jake Fromm like you might have even going into the SEC championship game. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think that you're and I don't think as a the flip side of that, I don't think as a, a as a, you know, Oklahoma you can go in there and say, you know, we've got to you know, we, we just load the box and just for I mean, I think you still want Jake Fromm to beat you if you're going to choose that between Chubb, Michelle and Swift, but you can't just sit there and and act like that 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 it, by loading the box and forcing Jake Fromm to throw, that somehow Georgia's at some huge disadvantage. Um, Fromm's capable, and I think he, that, that was one of my big takeaways and from the from the weekend um, is 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 how how impressed I was with him. Do you think that Georgia's defense is going to be? Well, like, again, I, I said that I'm going to save save our breath for this, but like that that side of the college football playoff is your contrasting styles game. The, well, it's, it's contrasting styles for everyone against Oklahoma. I mean, Oklahoma is the one that comes into this with a different pace, a different demeanor, a different identity than everyone else in the playoffs. And it starts with that Georgia game. So th- it's going to be fun, man. Um, it's going to be fun. I Before we dig into this, and then we'll save that for down the road, I, I kind of want to hear what you're – because you're at the ACC championship game. Uh, you got a firsthand look at that curb stomping by, by Clemson. What were your what, what were your observations? What were your thoughts from that from that firsthand experience? Kelly Bryant's ready. He's he's so ready. Um, and and see Clemson play like Clemson doesn't play at Oklahoma's pace, but I don't think they huddled for the whole first half. Yeah. Um, they would get right back to the line, and you know they were doing the check with me, and they would they would get into some shifts and motions. It wasn't a breakneck pace, but he is in 
total command of that offense. And he doesn't necessarily um, always be like, he's not throwing the, the 30 yard deep routes necessarily, but his ability to get the team, get his, uh, get the offense to the line of scrimmage, get the call in, survey the defense against like the Miami defense, you yeah. know, be, be able to make a read against a pass defense that is, you know, played at an incredibly high level and created all these turnovers against very good teams all season. And to be able to find whether it's like Hunter Renfro, Ray, Ray McLeod, uh, Dion Kane, like to, to be able to manage all of that, uh, in the up-tempo offense. And then you just like, like we, I was looking at Kelly Bryant at the beginning of the year, kind of as like a Jalen Hurts style option quarterback. And the way that he distributed the ball in that first half, he got him out to an early lead. And then it was just, then it was just park the bus time, but they were able to, you know, park the bus and play a little bit more conservatively and rely on their defense because he just came out and they like it started early. He kicked him in the teeth early. All of a sudden you looked up, it was 21, nothing. And like, yeah, there were definitely like the, um, I can't remember if it was Deion Kane. Uh, I can't remember which receiver it was, but it was like the long pass play Clemson fumbles, but then Clemson also recovers uh, that was like, I was like, Oh, the turnover right. luck has like changed hands. Like right. if, if Miami got that, or if Miami didn't have the missed field goal after, uh, getting the, uh, muff punt from Ray Ray, where they got a short field set up, but then Clemson's defense ends, ends up setting up. So like, you know, anytime you get to watch Clemson's defense in person, it's awesome. I mean, it is so much fun to watch. Uh, whether it's uh, Christian Wilkins, Dexter Lawrence, Cleveland Farrell, Austin Bryant, uh, Albert Huggins, like they they just continue to cycle bodies in, and they were winning one on one battles all over the place, and like that's that's just like a you know I always say physics not football. Like whenever you get to see that it, with with your own eyes, not just on TV, it it just it gets sends chills down my spine. But the big takeaway, especially as we're talking about playing Clemson forward is that is Kelly Bryant is absolutely capable and absolutely ready to lead this Clemson team to the same heights that Deshaun Watson did. He's not the same player. He, in fact, he's, there's some, you know, a lot of things that are different. The offense doesn't work in exactly the same way, but in terms of his mastery of this offense, uh, there, there's no limitations. Uh, the, the training wheels are off for him and, and he can, he is good enough to go win a national championship. All right, okay, I keep, we're not going to break these games down right now, but I, I'm just curious. I don't want I don't want an explanation. Just first initial hunch in Bama Clemson. What's your hunch? Clemson. Yeah, that's yeah. See, that was for me. Not only was Kelly Bryant impressive, but I thought one of the things I like about Clemson the most is it just feels like their offensive coaches put Kelly Bryant in position to be successful. Like, yeah. I, I don't know, like, I don't know what it is, but he, it seems like his, he's, he's always got, you know, there's always somewhere for him to go with the football. There's always they, they an ha- easy read. They, How is there yeah, always they, somebody open? Yeah. There's, there's just a plan. Like there's a, it seems like they've got a great plan always. And, uh, and that's an advantage I, I would give you Clemson, even over probably Alabama is just there. They, I, you know, we talked a little bit about Alabama. I think Clemson has a better sense of who they are 
right now. Um, you know, I was interested to look up and see that no one had more than 24 yards rushing because I spent most of the time watching the Big Ten Championship game uh, for Clemson. And I think that's just the nature of that was what you know Miami gave them. That was what 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 they offered up for them. And and Kelly Bryant is is now a quarterback that can take advantage of that. So, um, yeah, that that was you know aside from I, my two takeaways was I really liked the the offensive game plan and like you said that defensive front is they're they're getting lathered up right now. They're uh, they're they're getting they're getting primed right now for for this run and, and I think that uh, you know I would argue they're probably the maybe the best unit any sort of position group of anyone in that college ball playoffs it might be that that Clemson front four um, and and that's that's a pretty good unit to have that's is, is that's the best we've got to watch a lot of football so I'm I'm not actually mad at myself for not realizing this. Um, and maybe if you had gone back to like week to week, I would have mentioned it. But um, Dabo told us on Saturday night after the game when he was talking about the the defensive line, like he was up there with Christian Wilkins. And I I didn't know that they just gave Big Dex two weeks off after the NC State game. Like how <laughs> I didn't nice? Either. Yeah, I didn't how either. I didn't how know nice either. is that that he was like he was like yeah it was like Big Dex was. Real banged up. He was hurting a little bit, but you know we knew that we were going to need him later. And so after the NC State game, we just gave him two weeks off just to get his body right, and that gave an opportunity for you know like Albert and Jabril and like all these other players to come in and get reps and get even better. And that meant that in these games, Dexter Lawrence, one of the like most incredible specimens in college football right now, is even fresher. Uh, so yeah, to your point, the group that's getting lathered up and like the group that can win this, uh, is Clemson. And I, and listen, I need, I also want to credit from, uh, watching this group, like Miami's defense, they found themselves down really, really early and they were put in some horrible positions because of Miami turnovers. Clemson started five straight drives in Miami territory. The drives yeah. started in Miami ta- territory, but yeah. like. Um, you know whether that, ultimately that's why Miami never had a chance. I think we kind of sniffed that out. When we were pre- previewing the game. Is is it wasn't that the defense couldn't hold up. It was that the offense wasn't gonna wasn't gonna be able to get anything done without Amon Richards, without Herndon, with Malik Rozier as, as limited as he is, and with that de- defense healthy again. That that was that was gonna be a tough task. Chad Thomas had a great game. Michael Pinkney had a great game. Uh, Redwine Quarterman like. Those dudes were flying and hitting. And, like, you're right. Like, looking up at the rushing stats, Clemson couldn't get in, anything going, like, down to down because that front seven did a great job. Um, and they, they, were, they were doing all they could to try and give Miami a chance in this game. And, uh, and then, like, it would just go right back. And so I uh, – I, yeah, I, I come out of that game – and that's and you know you said what about your initial hunch? Um, it is mostly from watching that game and, and seeing Kelly Bryant, just seeing how, dude, like Kelly's got. Some, I think Kelly is swaggier than Deshaun Watson. Really? <laughs> oh my goodness, he's got some, and it's like a it's like a cool, so it's like a South Carolina borderline like Georgia kind of swagger about him and. He's like got all these like fun little catchphrases that 
he's like he like yips a little bit he's like akb yay you know like like (laughs) and he was just hooting and hollering like i was like damn this guy has so much confidence his teammates love him he's got a total master like total mastery of the offense and i was like man that's 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 somebody who right now is he's there's just not going to be any fear going up against alabama you know, he was in high school as a senior. He was, he was 11 and one, uh, losing in the playoffs, getting upset in the playoffs, and threw for 3,500 yards. Uh, like the guy was was like incredibly productive in high school. Like this isn't some kid that came out of nowhere. I mean, he's. And I know we're sitting here talking about in the in, uh, you know, the, the after the championship game. It's, everyone knows who he is at this point. But I, I, my point is, this kid's talented, and and I think we're starting to see the talent really pair up with confidence uh in him and 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 the offense you know really really putting their trust in him to to be that guy uh so this this, he could be really peaking at the right time here yeah absolutely uh you didn't get to see much of the big 10 championship game i assume no i'll take as many of your uh your your sort of big picture of the way the game unfolded because we had a I had like the screen, you know, like the other screens in the press box. And once, hey, and I will admit, I took more bathroom. I took more bathroom breaks and did more water refills once. Uh, once the game got out of hand, but in terms of like, you know, the way that that it unfolded, I wasn't able to keep many tabs on it. Yeah, I mean, I'll tell you. I mean, I, Ohio State's defense was was impressive. Um, they held Jonathan Taylor to forty-one yards. Held Wisconsin to sixty yards rushing. Uh, it was that typical deal where, you know, they, they forced Alex Hornibrook to make some plays and he made a few, but he also threw a couple interceptions. Um, and you know, I, it, it boils down to this to me for Ohio state. I, I still think, I, I wonder, and, and, and JT Barrett played a courageous football game just a few days off of an, a, a surgery. He, he actually was, had some pretty accurate throws down the field. Uh, he wasn't perfect, but he, he he made a few throws. I still wonder, Chip, what this Ohio State team would have looked like this weekend and what this Ohio State team would have looked like throughout the year if they had Dwayne Haskins. I just, I just think they would have been a different, more consistent team in these sort of settings because they would have had a more dynamic offense like JT Barrett is like a plodding physical runner. He's not even like a Braxton Miller who you sort of has these big play explosiveness potential. Like he's, he's a guy that, that gets you tough yardage. He's not a guy that is, is going to Khalil Tate you or, or Lamar Jackson you. So I, I don't know, man. Like I, that's, a, I'm not even going to say that's, that's like, Monday morning quarterbacking because I've been saying it since the spring. So th- this is something I've I've long thought, but once again, I just I didn't you know I didn't see it on that front with Wisconsin. They yeah, I, J.K. Dobbins was awesome once again, rushed for 174 yards. What a great year he's had. Um, that defense was awesome. Um, my boy Denzel Ward was awesome. God, I love that cornerback. Cor- uh, Jerome Baker was awesome. So I, look, there's a lot to like about this Ohio State team, and there's a lot to to make you think that hey, if they get in the playoffs, they could make a run too. Um, but you know, ultimately, it just there, there was just too many times during the game where like they didn't put, they didn't they didn't smell the blood, they didn't step on their throat, and and, um, and they had a couple of turnovers that uh, you kind of tell you why they're 
they're you know why why they've been limited why they why they can't just sort of be that dominant team that they want to be because there would there were uh there were like three explosive plays really early right like or or well that was that like mostly how Ohio State got their points was like early in these games on these like big 57 71 yard plays where I, I felt like early in the game you know you're just watching on Twitter you're you're seeing highlights people are talking it's like oh look there's Wisconsin can't match the the speed and athleticism was constantly you know, like this is this is where it gets exposed. Ohio State had three touchdown drives all game. Mm. Four plays for ninety six yards, four plays for seventy five yards, three plays for eighty two yards. Those are their scoring drives. So yes, they 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 are still that explosive team. They are still a Paris Campbell missed tackle away from uh, a seventy five yard touchdown all the time, and that's why they're such a dangerous team. Um, but you know they're also they also they're, have they also going to throw a pick six when yeah, exactly. they're like twenty yards away. Yeah, they're going to set up an easy pick six with a bad throw. Um, it, exactly. So you know I think um, the game frankly kind of went about. It was sort of a, a stereotypical prototypical game. It's sort of what we expected. Ohio State gets in there, figures out you know just survives it, wins it, has a few turnovers. Has a few big plays, um, and uh, you know that's that's kind of what they've been. Was it uh, was it twenty four twenty one when they so were there two short field goals? I felt like I was really disappointed that uh, that they didn't go for it on at least one of those. Wait, that was Wisconsin didn't. No, Ohio State was uh, Ohio State had the narrow lead. I think it was twenty four twenty one. And they had it like fourth and goal at like the five. Well, they they went for it earlier in that in that uh, drive, and they got it that and time. They got it, yeah. yeah. Um, so, you know, I think that they they that was the that was the, that was the they did have a seven minute drive there to when they went up twenty seven twenty one. That was their fifteen play seventy two yard drive when they you know they really did um, sort of march the field. Um, okay, and to, and to be fair, from a from a strategy from a strategy standpoint, uh, the idea that you want to make Alex Hornibrook play hurry up is absolutely what you want to do. I, and, I'm cool with that. Yeah, and and that was and they were totally out of their out of their element trying yeah. to do that. Um, so I, look, I think it was what Ohio State, USC, uh, in the Cotton Bowl is that where we got them? Oh, that's yeah. gonna be that's gonna be fun. I mean, that's gonna be a, that's gonna be Ohio State is still like like I said. If they were in the playoffs, I wouldn't be bemoaning it. I wouldn't be disappointed. I wouldn't be upset. They're they're a good team. They could go out there and beat anybody. Um, but I, you know, I don't. I, I think that it's. I think that Alabama is the better. I uh, did you watch the selection show? No, not in real time. Oh, you you're blessed. Trust me. <laughs> um, it was really. I mean, they made they made you wait thirty minutes of talking before they even released it. They had this dramatic music playing in the background. Uh, but Herb Street did have a funny observation. He said, I wish we had had a camera on Dabo Sweeney as he's sitting there waiting for number four to be revealed. And he knows that last time he played Ohio State, 31 nothing, And he yeah. knows what's happened the last two times they played Alabama. And he's like, number four is Alabama. <laughs> you just know Dabo's face was like, oh, Okay. <laughs> Yeah. Here we go. Yeah. yeah, it'll be uh I got a feeling Davo Davo don't care. 
<laughs> oh yeah, think, yeah, yeah, for sure. I think, no, I know, but I think that, but yeah, that, that's that is. Um, they've had some battles, and it's going to be fun to have another one. Um, Dabo Sweeney, by the way, has not been to New Orleans since he was an Alabama player playing for the national championship in the Sugar Bowl against Miami. Like that's what he said. He hasn't stepped foot in the city. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this is gonna be awesome keep keep him off bourbon street um and uh and dexter lawrence was like uh, what are you excited about new orleans he's like there's powdered donuts beignets yeah beignets <laughs> <laughs> I, I saw that oh uh, uh, man yeah. all right buying tickets to sports and concerts can be complicated and confusing but there's a better way to buy and of course come on you guys know this was seat geek SeatGeek is the smartest, easiest way to get tickets to any type of live event. And listen, this might be you searching for a last-minute deal. Uh, It might be trying to plan a night out around the holiday season. Or, listen to this, it could be the perfect gift for someone else. So SeatGeek helps you find the best seats at the best prices, fully guaranteed. And our listeners can get $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase by downloading the SeatGeek app and enter promo code 24-7. So if you're trying to get a gift for somebody, make that gift tickets. Download the SeatGeek app, enter promo code 24-7. Boom, $20 off this gift purchase. I've got the SeatGeek app on my phone, and it's by far the easiest way I've found to shop for tickets. I love the ratings. I'm always looking for those 91s, those 92s, best value, best price. Uh, usually searching for Carolina Hurricanes, but look, it's it's theater season, baby. We got the Christmas Carol going on uh, down in Memorial Auditorium here in Raleigh. So I'll be on there. I'll be searching for them. And the best thing is every purchase is fully guaranteed, so you can shop for tickets on SeatGeek with confidence. So make SeatGeek your go-to app for finding the best deals on every type of ticket from sports to concerts to comedy to theater. And again, download the SeatGeek app and enter promo code 24-7 for $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. That's that's promo code 24-7 for $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. How much... uh, Well, All right, so there was this really funny uh, late push. And I don't know... I don't know if it was us just trying to entertain uh, that something crazy would happen or because Ohio State, you know, had that, like you said, survivalist win. I like survivalist, by the way. If they they had that survivalist win. But, like, out of nowhere, there was, like, so what about USC? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I don't know, man. Like, that's – I, I, did, I never really broke down the resumes. Like, is that is that viable? Like, I mean, all, all viable? I, listen, all I know is that it, there was this like, well, what about USC? Well, if you're going to do Ohio State, you got to consider USC. And, you know, all, all of these conversations were like kind of were forced or coming up. And I, I just joked that like USC would be the the mystery candidate. Like if, if this really is a reality show, if earth really is a, a simulation for the entertainment of aliens, like USC would be the like, Oh, like this, the, the late season sweep, sweep stunner that they would just pull out of nowhere. I got a text. Uh, cause I wasn't watching the, I wasn't watching in real time. Uh, the, the selection. And I got a text, a holy X, uh, holy curse word in caps when it came out. And so, and I, and and to your point, like I was thinking, like, oh my god, like did 
did did USC get in this thing? Because that was the only thing that would elicit that response from me. And it was someone that just I think I guess really expected Ohio State to get in. Um, so yeah, like I guess there was suddenly this this kind of push. And I'll say this: I mean, man, there's not many teams I, I would want to play above USC right now as they're getting healthy. Um, you know, they're they've I thought they looked pretty sharp against Stanford. Um, three point win, but Stanford's playing well too, and 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 I thought they really were the better team in that game. Um, hey, you beat when you beat Stanford with you making a goal line stand. I'm, oh uh, wow, that was awesome. I'm I'm ha- like I'm hat tipping for a year. Like you will yeah. not you will not hear me talk trash about USC's defensive front for twelve months. That I am not stuff. I am not allowed to do that because we have seen so many Stanford teams. You know, just win those battles in the trenches to be able to close it out, whether it's a fourth down, whether it's a goal line, you know, whether it's Stanford making the goal line stand. Like, I, what was it? I think it was in the Sun Bowl last year when Solomon Thomas just, like, splits the uh, splits the A-gap and just gobbles up Mitch Trubisky in the backfield uh, inside the 10-yard line. Like, the fact that USC just stood up and shut down Stanford at the goal line, I was like, wow, that's... That that is as impressive uh, of a of a Pac-12 championship win as I can imagine, and because these Pac-12 championships uh, have not exactly like gotten the top billing, but uh, that that was a pretty entertaining game and a great win for the Trojans. But I, I was asking that because when they were revealing it, you know, they revealed the top six, and it, I was like, oh, you, I wonder USC is Alabama, Ohio State, and I was like, okay. Wisconsin number six. I was like, oh damn. I guess USC never really was in the mix. Right. <laughs> and they were like Auburn number seven. I was like, damn. USC was not in the mix at all, finishing at number eight in the college football playoff rankings. They're up two spots from where they were a week ago. Uh, but this this commit, you know, we we were just grasping for straws and and, and last minute drama. I think this, trying to act like is, the Trojans this, were going to be in. This is Clay Helton's expertise is to get hot at the very end of the season just in time to where at the end of the season we say USC is going to be a national title contender next year next year right yeah, so yeah they're yeah, gonna yeah. go and they're gonna beat Ohio State and they're gonna look great doing it and then for the second year in a row we're, we're all gonna be like oh look out for USC <laughs> next year uh but you know so yeah just uh but I thought David Shaw made a great point um yesterday talking about sort of how like he he said look i didn't have a problem with the usc having a bye week before the the pac-12 championship game because they played 12 straight weeks without a bye that's ridiculous there needs to be some equity uh in you know in in how these schedules are are put together every conference in the country should have a nine game schedule a conference schedule uh, instead of you know the sec having this sort of week 12 bye uh, where they get to play Mercer or whoever they want, um, which I, 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 I'm with it, man. I, I think that the Pac-12 and the Big 12 are at major disadvantages for having that. And I, does the Big 10 do, do nine conference games too? They just switched, I think, last year was the first year. So it's yeah, uh, Pac-12, like that, Big 12, Big 10 are all on nine. ACC and SEC are on eight. Yeah, I think that's a huge advantage for the SEC and ACC and, and a huge disadvantage for the, for the others. So um, – that, that's something I'd like to see addressed down the line, but um, 
but yeah, that was a, that was a fun battle though between those two pretty good football teams. All right, as we uh, let's see, so we got uh, Big Twelve. Do you have anything else from Oklahoma TCU that stood out to you? Other than the fact that Oklahoma just boat raced a really good defense against TCU and looks like they, I mean that that's and I'll, I'll admit I didn't watch a ton of this game because I was dialed into Memphis UCF because Oklahoma was killing them. Uh, wasn't worth watching to me because Memphis UCF was so much fun. Uh, but I look every time I every time I looked up at that game, there was a new guy touching the football some other way that they're having an explosive play. That this is this this Oklahoma team is uh, I, 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 look to me that they, they have a pretty good case to be the number one seed. And, and I, I, right now, um, as we stand today, they're my pick to win it. Uh, so I, I'm, I'm excited to see what this offense can do against these other really good defenses they're about to face. Clemson, Oklahoma, is that your title pick? Like, like I, I've, been, I've gone back and forth. The reason I asked you sort of that initial hunch on Alabama, Wisconsin, or Clemson is I've gone back and forth. Like I've, I can't decide right now. I'm, I'm, I think I'm leaning Alabama, but I don't know, man. I think I've given given different answers every time someone's asked me. I, I think that it's Clemson, Oklahoma. I think it's like a 45-40, and I just haven't picked my winner yet. Yeah. Just, oh, I'm ready. For, no huddles. The no all no, all no huddle. All no <laughs> huddle t- title game. Let's go. Four and a half hours. I'll be ready. We'll be there. Let's go. <laughs> um, oh, okay. So UCF. Glad you just mentioned that. That was an unbelievable uh, conference championship game. How about that underplay? Got smashed in the third quarter. Oh, man. <laughs> hey, yeah. 80, what was it, 84, 82? Yeah, I got it at 82. Uh, Memphis Memphis was gave you too much offense. You knew you were going to get something out of UCF, but Memphis gave you too much offense. And it went to over double overtime. Yeah. <laughs> <You're> just, <laughs> it ended up at 117 or something. Yeah. yeah. Got no chance. Um, how about uh, – and, and listen, this has been poured over by a lot of people uh, – Scott Frost getting pretty pretty high grades for the way that he has publicly handled uh, the Nebraska interest, the way this has all gone down. Uh, a little bit strange to have, be coaching on the sideline while some of the national reporters are breaking news that you are, in fact, uh, going to be going to Nebraska after the game. But then even after that, the school, see, it seems like UCF was ready. You know, the athletic director holds an impromptu press conference essentially right. announcing his coaching search right after they win the title and Scott Frost and his assistants commit uh, to playing in the Peach Bowl, which we find out later is against Auburn, which, geez, sign me up. Uh, that game's going to be awesome. Uh, yeah. I, I I think that the way that this worked out for UCF, UCF as a program, Scott Frost as an individual coach, hard to find uh, many around college football who are going to have a bad word to say about either right now. Nebraska's back. Oh baby, I know. I I really think just and and to all those things you just said about the way that Scott Frost handled this, the way he's handled his team, going out and winning it, like maintaining the respect of the UCF administration through all of this. Um, I think that speaks to just his managerial ability. Like that, the guys that screw this stuff up, I think in a lot of cases are guys that just like aren't that you know aren't smart enough to handle it the right way that aren't you know, don't have the right people around them. Like, I, I think that that is a indicator of success in coaching for you to be able to, you know, leave and still have all your players really want you to be successful and, and, and wish you well. And, um, 
I, I, I'm, a, I'm a huge, huge Scott Frost believer, and I think Nebraska is, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm so glad from a college football fan, from a, from a hope that the Big Ten West gets competitive fan, that this is happening because I really think he's going to kill it at Nebraska. Um, what is Nebraska looking like in your eyes right now from the recruiting or general talent standpoint? They've, they've recruited decent. They, they've, this isn't, he's not inheriting a, whole, a bad roster. Um, the quarterback's position is going to be one that they've got to overhaul because they were starting to turn it into a pro-style quarterback um, approach. So I don't know who, who he's got on his roster that he's going to be comfortable with. Um, they, they just offered a kid committed to Tennessee out of California that is um, more of an athletic quarterback. So that's the, that's the first step. That's going to be the tough transition. But they've gotten some guys, and they've made some inroads. Nebraska is a – Nebraska is, is, is a recognizable name on the West Coast because of what Mike Riley has done. Uh, and and I think that, that Scott Frost will be able to pick that up and run with it. And now I think with, I think because of that they'll be able to sneak into California because of what he did at UCF they'll be able to sneak into Florida. Ooh. And and I, I do think that they're going to be they're going to be fine. I think they're going to be just fine. You turn you turn you talk about Nebraska being back. You turn Nebraska into a national recruiter type destination. That's Nebraska back. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, sure. I mean that's. Um, all you got to do is win a few games and people are going to want to go there. That that's that's the problem with Nebraska's had is they haven't been that good. If if they were better, they'd be recruiting better. Um and so, you know, they're 75th in the country right now in recruiting because they've lost some commits through this process, but that'll that'll bounce. That they'll they'll get a good good response here in the coming weeks and if they don't, then it'll be next year. But I I have no no issue with uh Scott Frost being able to recruit to Lincoln. Every year, millions of people around the holiday season, uh, they receive underwear. And many times, those billions of people are, are, are not always as excited. But maybe it's not the underwear that's the problem. Maybe it's the kind of underwear, which is why Barton and I can tell you all about me undies. Because that is the only underwear that makes for an amazing gift that will light up the faces of your favorite loved ones during this holiday season. MeUndies, they are soft, they've got a flexible waistband, it is three times softer than cotton, and it is a natural, sustainably sourced fiber, so you can feel good about it with your conscience. MeUndies has made underwear the perfect gift that everyone is going to love you for. It is a holiday miracle. This year, don't give underwear, give MeUndies. And this holiday season, you can get an exclusive 20% off off the softest underwear and socks you will ever wear, free shipping, and a 100% satisfaction guarantee. All you've got to do is go to MeUndies.com slash CFB. That's MeUndies.com slash CFB. These MeUndies are fantastic. It has totally changed my underwear game. And again, you could just buy them for yourself. I mean, holiday gift for yourself. Do it right now we are your favorite college football podcast that's how you remember it meundies.com slash cfb 20 percent off the softest underwear you will ever wear that's meundies.com slash cfb so from a head coach who is getting very high marks for the way that this was handled to uh 
a a long, slow, awkward. Uh, I don't know, man. I just I think that we knew that Jimbo Fisher was going to be leaving for Texas A and M, even though it wasn't official. The last time that we talked, the tea leaves from the Florida State side had uh, no one really feeling confident that he was going to come back to Tallahassee this time. And Texas A&M certainly felt confident about a candidate that it had been pursuing for a while. Now, uh, we've got the strange video of him being welcomed uh, on the tarmac at the airport by the the full Texas A&M band. He looked a little bit like he was the leader of a small country. And I guess (laughs) that when you're leading the Texas A&M football program, you kind of are leading a small country. Jimbo Fisher arrives at A&M. Uh, thoughts on sort of how the last couple days played out? I, I, I mean, credit Texas A&M. Credit Scott Woodward, the AD. They went and got their dude. Like, they they shelled out $75 million. Uh, and, you know, if you're going to play big boy ball and if you're going to act like you're, you know, you are – you're carrying that kind of stick, then, <laughs> then swing it. Um, and they did. And so, uh, I give a lot of credit to Texas A&M. I think Jimbo, you know, that's, you saw the way Scott Frost handled it. Jimbo did not handle it as well. And, and, it, you know, I think he wanted to coach this weekend. It just got untenable. Like he wasn't, he couldn't, couldn't square that. And, and so, you know, he left and DeAndre Francois subtweeted him and, um, so just mixed emotions with how that ended with Jimbo Fisher because he did a lot for that program. Um, but this was, at the end of the day, like this wasn't a shock anymore. Um, it just felt like that the marriage was over um, at Florida State. And and now he steps into a situation probably even tougher to win, tougher division. Um, but here's my – like. The bottom line is, like, if you're paying a coach seventy-five million dollars, guaranteed, uh, you expect national titles, right? So that's that's sort of what, what we got to get to. Like, Chip, do you think the Texas A&M is going to win a national championship under Jimbo Fisher? Because yeah. that is the expectation. Yes. Wow. I, 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 that's I, decisive. Oh yeah. Well, I said early. I, I think that I pitched this to you. Uh, Texas A&M has not won a national championship since. Uh, I think before the television was being sold into homes. So there are no highlights of Texas A&M's last national championship. Uh, I, but all, all that said, if there are only three or four or four or five coaches who could potentially win a national championship at Texas A&M, I believe that Jimbo Fisher is one of them. I'd like to see it. It'd be fun. Um, how about, how about this? I feel I, I am I am very very confident he'll get an SEC championship. Like could like and that's where we I think that I've got to go back to like understanding not understanding but just considering probability and the increased difficulty of winning a national championship in the college football playoff era with the the two additional games, not just like a, a one game lighted up. Because I mean, Florida State won a BCS championship. Florida State got its pants pulled down on national television by Oregon in the college football playoff. Now they haven't had any other opportunities, but uh, I do believe confidently that Florida, that Texas A&M under Jimbo Fisher in the next decade will win an SEC championship and get to the college football playoff with a chance to win a national championship. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I, it's, 
it's hard it's hard to envision that right now with with Auburn being as good as it is and LSU always being LSU and Alabama being Alabama but yeah I mean you just if, if he can keep recruiting the way he recruited at Florida State I tell you who's who this is bad news for is Texas yep because now you've got a you've got a big dog on the block that is not you know he, he ain't messing around and um, Texas is still over here trying to figure things out they've been trying to figure it out for what seven eight years and uh, you know it, it, this is not that they, they don't even play each other but just they're bad in recruiting Texas has still been able to really carry a lot of weight and if, if Florida if, if uh, A&M gets it going that's gonna be bad news for Texas um, so 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 Jimbo's at, at, at A&M um, Florida State clearly Willie Taggart is call number one I mean I and like that is I can't I can't tell if there is there is a segment of my world that seems to be rooting very hard against Florida State and I don't know whether that's people that uh you know just enjoy like chaos or things that are different from the norm or whether that's just I don't know like certain Florida fans in my world who are uh just I don't know bagging on FSU because they're biased but like I'd is is Willie Taggart with all of these comments about, you know, oh no, I'm recruiting, like all the, the tweets coming out about how he how he's so committed to what they're doing right now. Like, is there any reason to believe that that is evidence that he's not going to go to Florida State? Because I'm not taking it as evidence that he's not going to go to Florida State. There was a he someone someone tweeted out or or pointed out that. Like hours before he took the Oregon job, he tweeted a similar. Oh, okay, good. USF tweet. Thank you, thank you, Barton. I, that's so, what I needed. I was like, no. I was like, this is not. This this is not a reason to write that Willie Taggart is is not ill. Like Willie Taggart appears staying at Oregon. And like, no, right. I, I don't. I don't think that at all. Right, but I do think that it's it's suddenly like I, I would have thought this thing would have been done by now, and and the fact that it's not means that there is some doubt means that it might not happen. And honestly, if it doesn't happen, if they got to move to to you know, the, the second next? name on their list, I think suddenly that they're going to start looking at a disappointing hire. Yeah. And I don't know who that second name is, whether it's Charlie Strong, uh whether it's Yeah, you know, I don't know Jeremy Pruitt. Um I, I think that that's a big I think those are big steps down strong in terms of what we've seen him accomplish and prove in terms of just you know the the unknown a big step down from what i think is a pretty sure thing and a, and a nice fit in, in willie taggart so uh that's gonna be really interesting to see whether they can get that thing done over the next 24 hours all right so um the uh, we mentioned it earlier uh the i don't know how the auburn i don't know why it seemed like the auburn result somehow was connected to whether or not Gus Malzahn was going to take Arkansas because based on my estimation Malzahn I mean Malzahn wouldn't have taken it if Auburn had won the game because you wouldn't leave a team that's playing for the national championship correct right but I I think that there was uh I don't know like how how seriously I never took Gus to Arkansas seriously am I wrong in that how about that I took it seriously, but I don't know if you're wrong or I'm wrong. 
Like, I, I don't know. I, I, I feel like, to me, the whole Auburn thing throughout, like Gus Malzahn was on the hot seat this year. Yeah. Like this year, people were saying after he lost to Clemson, like people were fed up with Malzahn again. Last year, that, that stretch where they played Clemson, um, who was that in that early stretch? Arkansas State, um, uh, LSU. They had they had a four you know they had a four game stretch there, all losable, and they they end up splitting. They went two and two. If they had gone one and three, he probably is fired. Um, and so, to me, there I, I could understand why Malzahn would be fed up with the the lack of enthusiasm around his program. The, he's always walking on eggshells. He's always got a you know, he's always coaching for his job and then go to Arkansas and, and, and get to eight wins every year and you're safe. And sometimes every once in a while you cycle up and, and, and maybe you, you play for an SEC championship. If you can do that, then you're, you know, they're building statues of you uh, at Arkansas. So I, I think I, I, I understood it. I understood why there was an inclination and why there was a the, the theory that Arkansas could make a run at him. Um, but I also can understand now, like with the way they're recruiting, with the momentum that they've got, Jarrett Stidham coming back. I would assume, like, there's there's a lot to there's a lot to be excited about around that program. Right, and I'm just I I think that Auburn is going to be in a position to like I'm not going to pick Auburn to win the Iron Bowl next year, but I I mean it's Auburn should be should feel like right now it's in a spot where. Every again, like you know, we'll, we'll zoom out a little bit. I think that every four years, Auburn can get one SEC championship under Gus Malzahn. Obviously, they didn't get it this year; they lost to Georgia in the title game. But there's no reason why uh, being in the same state, in the same division, in the same conference as Nick Saban and Alabama, based on where Auburn is right now, should be uh, a reason to think that that kind of success is unattainable. Yeah, yeah, I, I think so, and and. I still think, you know, Gus Malzahn heading into this year was the third best coach in the SEC behind Nick Saban, Dan Mullen. And you could make it out case he was the second. And when you're that successful uh, and when you're that good of a coach, you know, it's hard to swallow that you're on the hot seat every year. But I think maybe this year, the run they made, the, the what they built for the future, and maybe, maybe that this gets folks off his back a little bit. All right. So what's the next step for Arkansas? Chad Morris, like yeah, uh, it sounds Mike like Norvell. Chad Morris and Mike Norvell, um, which aren't bad hires. I don't think they're bad hires at all. Uh, I like both those guys as hires. I think, you know, Mike Norvell makes sense in having some Arkansas roots. Um, both those guys bring offenses that are a little bit different than the rest of the SEC West. So maybe that gives you some um, some hope in in tripping some people up by having different styles. And you know that that's I don't know I'll be I'll be I'll be shocked I'll be surprised if they go in a different direction than one of those two. This feels like it's Mike Norvell's job at this point, but that's not a that's not a firsthand sourced situation. I just this just feels like this is where Mike Norvell ends up. Like the tea leaves, if if we're reading this and you know trying to figure out what what you know where where the the momentum is swinging right now. That's that's what you're feeling. Yeah, I mean the, throughout this. All these jobs opening up, we're like, why isn't Norvell? Why isn't Norvell a factor? Why isn't Norvell a factor? And and he's always been a factor at Arkansas, but they were just waiting on that, um, waiting the on Gus. that Gus Malzahn yeah, train. Yeah, so, yeah. 
now it feels like this is time. And it's certainly time for, for Norvell to leave, too. Losing Anthony Miller, losing Riley Ferguson. I think this is a good time for him to jump after winning 10 games in Memphis. So, uh, you know, I, I, I think Arkansas is a good fit for him. What are we expecting? Uh, is, are there any more big dominoes that we're expecting or, or thinking might fall in the coaching carousel? Oregon, well, I guess Oregon could open. Uh, Oregon could open up. Kevin Sumlin's still out there. Like, they're, they're, I guess that Herm Edwards is about to uh, be announced as Arizona State's new head coach. I saw. So Sumlin was about to end up at UCF. It looked like for a minute, and now it looks like Sumlin is is stalling because he could potentially be in the mix for Oregon if that opens up. So that's a little bit of an interesting domino effect right now. That's going on. I also saw UCF just now. Bruce Feldman tweeted the UCF interested in Tony Elliott, offensive coordinator at Clemson, which I think could be a really interesting hire. Um, so there's some UCF's going to get a good coach, which is sort of that. That's that's interesting. That the UCF like someone someone didn't wasn't interested in in Tennessee. Are we in that the case? Yeah. Like. Wasn't that what was reported that someone basically turned down Tennessee, or 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 maybe they never got down the road? I don't want to, I don't want to speak out of turn there. But clearly, it, it didn't work out at Tennessee uh, due to one side's disinterest. I don't know who, but if 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 someone shows UCF over Tennessee, that's a that's a that's quite a statement. I think it's a better fit. Yeah, for Tennessee. Uh, yeah, I think it's a. I think it's. I think. I think that's a great fit for someone. Um, but or Oregon could be too. You know, I just. Uh, yeah, I'm. I mean, if you're Kevin Sumlin, would you? If would you think that? You know what? It's been really tough in this pressure cooker of an SEC job. You know what sounds like a good place to really rebound the momentum of my career? Tennessee. Out of the frying pan and into the fire. Right yeah, there. dude. You know? No, no way. That's uh, Kevin Sumlin needs a place where he can cook. Not, not, not something, not, not that, not yeah. that. Yeah. And now Tennessee, they sounds like they've reached out to less miles. Um, at least, you know, um, initial contact. Um, T Martin's name is being floated around. Like this, this, this could go in a whole different slew of directions now with Phil former running the search. So, uh, that that is the gift that keeps on giving. Come on, baby, um, just just name yeah. name yourself, Phil. Let's go. <laughs> just just name yourself head coach for the 2018 season. Yeah, I guess man, I guess I guess hiring T Martin really would be the that's the full Barry Alvarez move because then you you're, you're you can still be the puppet coach. Yeah. Um, yeah, I guess if Phil if Phil wants that, um, he seems to he seems to want to figure out a way to get involved somehow. Um, so I, I mean, I don't know, isn't man. that the reason why he is where he is? Because he's been trying to figure out a way to get involved. <laughs> he he, he uh, yeah, Game of Thrones, man. Barton, we were very close to getting Mike Leach at Tennessee. Oh yeah, that would have been amazing. Like if if yeah. if. if, if if this power move, if this it would have been a train wreck, though Chip, it would have been a train wreck. For that was not, yes, like if yes, think, I know, I was in. Yeah, if you think <laughs> that Greg it. Schiano is a bad like cultural fit for Tennessee, 
forget the off-field stuff. If you just think his personality is a bad fit for Tennessee, which is what a lot of this one of the sort of bullet points a lot of people had, man, Mike Leach would have been a disaster. That would have been an absolute disaster. Mm. He may have won. He like I, I I believe in Mike Leach, like without question as a coach, but I, I just I don't know that that would have worked. But I wanted it. Maybe that's why John Curry got fired. <laughs> yeah, that, I mean that's the thing is like <laughs> John Curry was ready to hire Mike Leach, and I was ready for the reality show. And oh, it would have been so great. Then the Game of Thrones, Phil Former was that, like, nope. Trap that's door, the only way. Trapdoor opens been, up. Okay, I would have been. That's the only way I would have been okay with this search ending if it ended with Mike Leach. It's like it ending with Les Miles or T Martin is like all right. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's gonna be disappointing. But because isn't uh, does do you think that Les has lost his pizzazz, or will you welcome back the Lessisms into your world? I'm not a big believer in Les Miles as a coach, but mm. I don't necessarily hate the fit at Tennessee. I do think that's the type, you know, that's the type of coach that that Tennessee could really kind of need someone to stabilize be a CEO, motivate, get these guys playing tough, which was part of the problem. Recruit, he can do that. Um, but, hey, there's a reason that he's fired at LSU. Like, he, that, that, that's uh, – he's going to need to give somebody the, the keys for the offense. Like, he's going to need to hand over the car and get in the back seat. Like, get in the penalty box. You know, and, I, you know what we got to <laughs> do? We've got to uh, – because didn't Chavis – leave not because of anything that was wrong with Les Miles but because he didn't like he didn't trust the way that the administration was treating Les Miles yes that sounds familiar that it, that he was worried that he that he wouldn't have a job he was wor- if Les right, Miles he was got fired the whole staff was gonna get fired yeah. yeah and so now uh Chavis is out there with the Texas A&M uh job changing over bring the chief back yes Les Miles <laughs> John Chavis Tennessee football 2018. We're running I formation. If you get if you get less T and Chavis, that's an intriguing group. With T Martin as a coach in waiting, is there some? Maybe there's there's not a a, a chief still. He's still okay at the in in Knoxville. No no hard feelings there. Like I feel like there's like everywhere Chavis goes, like there's like he leaves like a little drama behind. Like I, I can't remember if everything's kosher over there with him but that that would be listen bro if they're if they're ready to take lane back they, they have forgiven all sins from before yeah yeah no no question <laughs> um all right anything uh anything else stand out from the weekend or the coaching carousel that uh that stands out that we didn't get to no nah, i got nothing man this is um just uh just sit and wait time now, now, now we got to kill time until the games start up again. Yeah. Well, we'll uh, we'll be following the coaching carousel. We've got uh, our. We should be linking up with Gary Danielson, who I'm sure has. Uh, he called it. He said. If, he said you got to put Alabama in if you have the four best teams. He's been calling it for a couple weeks now. Um, now we also uh, have the Army Navy game, which of course will be on CBS, and Barton will be a part of the the uh, CBS's production of that game. So we will look ahead to that. Don't think we'll be having any locks, but we will, of course, be doing uh, breakdowns of the bowl games coming up in the next little bit. Uh, You can follow him on Twitter at Barton Simmons. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Barton, thank you very much. Sir.